Coming up on this week's show, a long-lost Mega Drive game has been found. An SD loader for the Neo Geo CD. And we chat to gadget show legend Jason Bradbury about his love for retro. This week's show is brought to you by Harry's. And Computer Active, the UK's best-selling fortnightly computer magazine. Hello and welcome to the Retro Hour podcast, episode number 207, your weekly dose of retro gaming and technology news with me, Dan Wood. Me, Ravi Abbott. And me, Joe Fox. And a very warm welcome to this week's podcast. Now, uh, as you listen to this show, um, you know I'll be on a plane heading to the Emerald Isle. Oh, yeah, for our annual Amiga Island, which is an absolutely fantastic event. It's not an island full of Amigas. It's (laughs) an Amiga event. In Ireland. In the island of Ireland. Well, we've been like, this is my second time there. Ravi's been three times. And the first time you said, oh, I've been to Amiga Island. I was picturing this island is full of Amiga (laughs) computers. Just like a one island just made out of a ginormous like Amiga in the ocean. (laughs) Ravi there with this fishing rod, getting floppy disks out the sea or something. It sounds an amazing place. Uh, But this weekend, yeah, we are off to our uh, annual trip to Ireland, where essentially a load of us geeks get together. We talk a bit about computers, spend lots of time in pubs and restaurants and stuff. It's generally a really good weekend. Yeah, it's great. And, you know, Amiga events are kind of blowing up worldwide at the moment. Uh, Amiga Island have had to get a bigger venue because they've outgrown that. Uh, Amiga UK is just starting to be announced. There's an event happening in Amsterdam as well. Amiga Germany is getting really big. Uh, It's just fantastic to see an old system still kind of getting the support. But this week's episode is not about Amiga, is it, guys? (laughs) Now, this week's episode is a bit about everything, really. Um, We're going to be joined by someone who will be very familiar to our UK listeners because, I mean, he's been on TV for many years now. And this is Jason Bradbury. Now, you probably know him from The Gadget Show. That's where most people know him from. I mean, you know, we're all big fans of The Gadget Show. Watch it for years. Mm -hmm. used to love it. I kind of find it as... The kind of replacement to Tomorrow's World. Yeah. When that used to be on, that was like religious viewing for me. And uh, I, I really like all the different personalities on the Gadget Show. And it's it's, a, it's quite a fun show, isn't it? Well, Jason did it for 12 years. I don't watch it as regularly as I used to anymore. I think for me, that was kind of the peak years when Jason was on for it. For me, it was like a religious watch, yeah. like through my teenage years. You mm. know, I think I can remember it being on every weekend on Channel 5. And just always just being really interested in it. Just kind of like, oh what's coming out, what's coming in. And he just kind of touched on everything to talk a bit about gaming, yeah. a bit about like, you know, what's going on with computers, a little bit what's going on about with, you know, just silly things as well. It's got that real kind of like Top Gear vibe yeah, to yeah. it as well. Yeah, but like, you know, but when it was in its prime, which is really John cool. Bentley would do stuff about GPSs yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then like Jason would be doing like crazy hoverboards or flying shoes or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, a lot of people know Jason for kind of like talking about new technology and what's mm, coming up and all mm. that. But he's a massive retro head. And actually, if you follow him on Instagram, I mean, he's on there all day posting pictures of his massive collection he's got. I mean, Ravi, was, his eyes perked up because he mentioned the Vectrex, which is one of Ravi's favourite systems. Yeah, yeah. He's really into it. So this week, I mean, we're just going to get really geeky and really nerdy about all things retro with uh, Jason Bradbury. Because, I mean, you know, he used to write for computer magazines back in the day as well. Yeah, we bumped into him at uh, Play Expo. So, yeah. you know, he comes to gaming events and checks out all the kind of new cool retro developments. So we're going to talk about stuff from like the Atari 2600, the BBC Micros that he used at school as well, a bit about handhelds, his massive collection. So this is going to be a really good one. Jason Bradbury is our special guest coming up on the show in around 15 minutes from now. Now, of course, we've got all the retro stories of the week that we need to update you on in just a minute. Before we do, let's give a big thank you to this week's sponsor. And we have a new one this week as well, a really good one. Our friends at Computer Active Magazine. Now, when I mentioned to Ravi, 
that Computer Active are coming on board. You're as excited about this as me because we've both been long-time readers of Computer Active. Yeah, it's a great magazine. And, you know, we all have this kind of connection with magazines where we used to type in code, we yeah. used to look up tutorials. But it's really interesting to see these days because they cover a range of articles, including antivirus software, broadband, really important stuff like how to protect your data and consumer rights. Yeah, I mean, their tutorials actually second to non their opinion pieces are great as well. Just a really good read. It's a magazine that I pick up every time I'm in like Asda or WH Smith. They're actually the UK's best-selling fortnightly computer magazine. And get this, we want you to give it a try. So, you know us, we always get you the best offers. Check this out. For Retro Hour listeners only, you can try three issues of Computer Active in print or digital. You get both of them included, actually, for just £1. That's crazy. That's like 33p an issue. Yeah. But on top of that, you get a 15 piece PC repair toolkit. Yeah, you do. So they include this as well. I mean, if you work on PCs, this will be invaluable. A massive saving as well. If you're just getting this for £1, that's a saving of up to £11.87 on what you'd normally pay in the shops. And obviously every issue will be hand-delivered to your door every fortnight at no extra cost. So we want you to give this a try right now. All you've got to do is open a new tab in your browser. And of course, for doing this, you'll be really helping out the podcast and you can get to check out this incredible magazine. All you have to do is head to this website, getcomputeractive.co.uk forward slash retro hour to claim your first three issues for just one pound and your free welcome gift included as well get computeractive.co.uk forward slash retro hour with our good friends from computer active magazine now of course we need to give a big thank you as well to our very loyal supporters we couldn't come in and do the show week in week out without your help helps pay for all our hosting costs everything that's involved in doing this podcast and you'll get a mention in a future episode in the extremely prestigious Retro Hour Hall of Fame. How do you get into the Hall of Fame? You go on our website, theretrohour.com. <laughs> Look at that smug face. He knows it. He's going to mess and it up. And you go onto the supporters tab in the top right or left corner. <laughs> Somewhere on the top. Somewhere across we the top. We haven't quite nailed that bit with him yet. But, but there's a the supporters tab. You jump on there. You donate any amount you want to. Uh, you can do it via PayPal and it ma- massively helps us out. Yep. It goes straight back into the running of the show. January is always a tough month for us because yep. of, you know, all the... Uh, all your kind of hosting and all that, all your website renewals and everything all come up, you know, and they all go out of Ravi's back pocket. <laughs> <laughs> so your help does mean a lot. Uh, and like I say, January is like the month they all renew. It's our birthday, isn't it? It is January our birthday, month, yeah. so... And Ravi yeah. hasn't eaten for three weeks. So yeah, <laughs> Any help we get, obviously, it all goes 100% back into the running of the show. Think of it as a little tip jar. If you like what we do for the cost of a cup of coffee or something, you'd be helping out the podcast. And for doing that, you'll get a mention on a future episode in the Hall of Fame. Just like this week, David Holt. Frank Elvid Vrundholtz. Edward Sanguinetti and Christopher McGonagall who all made donations into the running of the show and if you'd like to do the same we'd hugely appreciate that you'll find it on our website at theretrohour.com Now we've got our community picks on the way soon we'll be talking to Jason Bradbury First let's get into this week's retro gaming stories then Now Akira was a huge movie and it's actually had a couple of video game ports over the years I know you've got it on the Amiga CD32 Yeah so I'd say like I was a huge Akira fan it was a massive Japanese title that was like, you know, Ghost in the Shell was out at the time as well. It was really, really there. Akira was like the first kind of like, was it like the first big released anime in America or something? Yeah, the first big Western one, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And it had so many meanings, you'd have to watch it about five times to work yeah. out what was going on. But they released a game for the Amiga CD32, which yeah. was kind of one of the launch titles for the CD32, and it was absolutely awful. Right. Um, <laughs> it's really collectible because you could get some free things with it. So you could get a free Akira, the game t-shirt, mm. and you got a free poster. Have you got those? Yes. Okay. Now, the thing about the t-shirt is a lot of people left them in the boxes. I took mine out. They've all disintegrated. <laughs> so, oh, wow. I don't know if they actually exist. Eaten by moths. Yeah, yeah, but but this is really cool. This is an unreleased Sega Mega Drive Akira game. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, been found. Well, you said it came out in the CD32. There was a, a game on the NES as well, but this one actually looks completely different. It looks a lot better. <laughs> yes, I mean, looking at it, it's quite a mixture of different genres. So the CD32 version did the same. There was like it four was levels and each level was something different. Sidearm with the motorbike. Yeah. And then there was uh, like a top down. Yeah, but also it was really hard to complete. I think it was pretty much impossible to complete. It wasn't as like a lo- finished or coded or the coding in it wasn't quite finished. I think there was one yeah. jump that was just crazy to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so interestingly, the Mega Drive version, like you said, it's got the same kind of like take as that. It's got, you know, all the different genres and stuff. But what's really interesting because this looks so much better. Yeah. We've got like a first person kind of section as well and there's stuff you don't often see on the Mega Drive. These like quite long animated sequences between yeah. levels and stuff that looks really good. So it was made in 94. Yeah. But apparently just as it was finished, they had it printed onto a board and everything, yeah. you know, a prototype. Still had a couple of bugs, but it was very about done and it got cancelled. Which, you know, wasn't uncommon at the time. So, I mean, you think 94, that was kind of like when the 32-bit system yeah, started coming. Yeah, and Akira in. came out in like, I want to say 85, maybe 88. Was it of, that early? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So Akira was out for a while before, you know, before the games came about, which is really interesting. So maybe they looked at the uh, the CD32 version and went, nah, scrap it. <laughs> but <laughs> but like, that could have been it, yeah. The, that the FB, very well. Like the first person on this looks wicked. It's kind yeah. of like a dungeon crawler, but they've actually got like floor roof yeah all, yeah, all yeah. the textures go in there and it's 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 quite smooth scrolling if you look at the items that they've got at the bottom they're kind of like 3d rendered spinning around it looks like there was a lot of effort put into this time there's an actual working like map as well yeah. yeah on the first person section which is fantastic really and the parallax is beautiful yeah right? well this is a game preservation site called hidden palaces who've mm. um, actually got hold of this and like you said um, it was on a printed circuit board. It was by a company called Blackpool Studio. And like you said, the game was actually, I'd say looking at it, probably about, I mean, there are some bugs in it, but it looks like it's about 90% complete, I'd yeah, say, looking at I'd, it. I'd say more than that, like yeah. 95% complete, something like that. So I feel like if it had come out, it'd be one of those really rare yeah. end-of-life, you know, <laughs> games which now go for like hundreds of hundreds of pounds. Like really know, late on the Mega yeah, Drive. Yeah, really late yeah. on the Mega Drive, real limited run of a couple of thousand or something. But it's still a shame that it never came out. Yeah, I mean, there is like a one-hour Let's Play of it on yeah, YouTube. So, I mean, yeah. there's obviously enough there for an hour-long Let's Play. I reckon it'll um, probably be, uh, you know, homebrewed or something yeah. over the next couple of years. Probably see a few carts of it floating about. I love it when these unreleased titles come out. Though. Yeah. You're just like, oh, if they'd actually released a good Akira, yeah, <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe we'd have an Akira too. And you display them on your flashcards and stuff these days, which yeah. is awesome. And actually, speaking of which, don't want to don't brag or anything, lads, but, you know, I'm in the... Uh, Another exclusive club now, I'm afraid. I can't really associate with you lads anymore and your mega drives and stuff. I know, I'm a, you're like the posh kid at school. Yeah, I'm a, a Neo Geo owner these days. So. <laughs> a Neo Geo CD owner. I am actually, yeah, now I did get my hands on a, a Neo Geo CD. I did put on our Instagram and uh, Facebook and Twitter the other day as well. I mean, the Neo Geo CD was an interesting system. It wasn't as expensive as, like, you know, the earlier machines. The idea behind the CD unit was actually to make it a bit more affordable. Mm-hmm. Do you remember those massive cartridges on I the do, earlier system? I do. They, they cost like I, hundreds. I'm, I'm really ignorant about 
about Neo Geo because I only actually saw them when we went to retro gaming shows. I never yeah, saw yeah. them before other than in magazines until we actually got to sit down and play with one. You know? So for those who aren't familiar, essentially early 90s, Neo Geo says, right, we're like arcade kings. Let's do a home console yeah. where it is arcade perfect. It's not a port. Yeah. Essentially, they're putting these arcade boards into these huge, essentially like 30 centimetre wide. Oh, massive. Massive yeah, yeah. cartridges by about 15 centimetre. But a few years later, they did the the more affordable CD version. Yeah. So they had an optical drive in it, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So you could essentially just get the entire arcade game just on a disc, essentially. Only problem is, I mean, they released a few different versions of it. Uh, the one I've got is, uh, I've got a top loader version, which yeah. was the second version they released. They released one that only came out in Japan called the CDZ. Yeah. That had a dual speed CD drive in it. Because the biggest complaint that most people had was compared to the cartridge version, the CD unit took a long time to load the games. Right, yeah. So that's what everyone says, you know. That's why a lot of people don't really want the CD ones and they're a lot more affordable. Mm. I mean, I got mine for about 150 quid. Okay. It's actually all right for a Neo Geo That's a, that's a really good price, yeah. Um, but, I mean, with this new unit, now we're going to talk about the, uh, the Neo SD loader. Now, this is a Neo Geo CD optical drive replacement SD card game loader. So what it means is you can actually put all these um, ISO images essentially on an SD card and it'll reduce the loading times by up to four times. Okay. So, so do you take the drive out then or does it replace it? Or? Well, apparently it's non-destructive installation. Oh, that's um, good. And there's dip switches and stuff on there as well. And it can actually coexist alongside the optical drive that's already in there as well. That's so, pretty cool because yeah. like the Dreamcast solutions were basically... Rip out the rip, CD. Rip it out, replace it with this. So having it coexisting is kind of nice because you're not... So that keeps it quite like, you know, with what you were just saying about with the Dreamcast one, mm. that kind of you start getting into that ROM territory. Yeah, yeah. You know, whereas this is still going to feel like, you know, it's original hardware. You're just, you know, changing it slightly. And like you said, the Neo Geo is an expensive bit of kit. You know, the Neo Geo CD. Well, this is 75 euros for the loader, which isn't that bad compared for ever drives that you've seen on other systems, stuff mm. like that. No, 75, it's pocket change for us Neo Geo. Then, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the first kits are actually expected to ship, I think around now, actually. Okay. So. I will put a link in our show notes if you want to check it out. I mean, as someone who's just getting into the Neo Geo scene, it is actually really cool. This is coming along. So, I mean, I, I went out and got, like, you know, a pack of, like, 100 CDs, and I'm working my way through them. And, I mean, for me, you know, having used systems before that had optical drives like the PlayStation and the CD32, mm. I don't find the waiting times that intolerable. I think a lot of people are, you know, that use Neo Geo owners are used to the, the cartridge systems. Yeah. They find it a bit of a pain, I think. Cartridges, you know, yeah. especially, you know, your 16-bit Mega Drive and SNES cartridges and stuff, so I'm sure, because I've not really played Neo yeah. Geo that much, they're just, like, instant. Yeah. So they just load up straight away. So I can see why people would be like, oh, I've bought the more affordable version just for it to be four times as slow. But like but you, you say, games, but yeah. if, you, if you're familiar with Sega Saturn and PlayStation and stuff, it's just kind of standard, I guess. And there's loads of fighting games on there as yeah. well, so definitely have, a, have to have a night around mine so I can... Uh... Whoop your ass. <laughs> you mean so you can switch it off after I whoop your ass? <laughs> That's never happened. <laughs> now, let's talk about this next story as well. The Super Retro Champ. Now, this has been... I've seen this all over Twitter and stuff recently. Yeah, so we've had CES recently, yeah. and now there seems to be a group of retro announcements that come with CES. That's so fantastic. This is a new a new device, which is a, a, by a guy's called My Arcade. I know, would you fill us in, Joe? I know you've checked this one out. So, <laughs> anyone has read the story? <laughs> <laughs> so, essentially, we've got, you know, a retro console handheld uh, with a seven-inch screen, which is pretty cool. Console's got about another inch on each side. 
Well, essentially, it's got two cartridge slots. We've got a Super Nintendo cartridge slot on one side okay. and then a Sega Mega Drive slot Whoa. on the other side. So one on the top, one on the bottom. So it can play either or, which I think is really cool. You can hook up to your TV. It does come with two wireless controllers as well, so you can play multiplayer, but only on on the uh, the TV. Right. And what I think is really interesting on this article I've been reading is it compares it to the Switch Lite. And it's like, well, you Switch Lite, you can't play on a TV, but this you can, which I thought right. was really funny. Few things to point out. So it's a hundred and ten dollars. So that's know, not bad, which isn't too yeah. bad. But it doesn't have any sort of like SD card slots or anything like that. So there's going to be no save states on it or anything. So you can only save onto the original hardware onto the original Maybe cartridges. You, but you could use EverDrives in there. Yeah, there'll, yeah, there'll yeah. be EverDrives on there as well. So that's a very very good point. So mm. in fact, looking at the the actual stock image for it, they've got EverDrives in there okay, as so well. They do work then. Yeah. So they okay. do work with EverDrives. But apparently it's only got five-hour battery time. That's a bit rubbish, to be honest. But then, I mean, you compare that to your Lynx or your Game Gear back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously, you just plug it in. It's not running on double A's or anything like that. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. (laughs) I like that it's got wireless pads as well. I think that's pretty cool. You know, this would be good if you had kids that were into retro gaming and you could stick it in the car or something. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool, actually. But sometimes I worry about these controllers because, like, are they infrared or something like that? But I'm sure they will be, you know... They'll be Bluetooth Bluetooth, or something, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's cool that they're kind of bringing... Mega Drive and SNES together. Yeah. It does look like it's a bit more weighted on the SNES side, I've got to say. I mean, looking at the buttons and yeah. the layout of the controllers. The actual console itself. The colour scheme. And the colour scheme is Super yeah. Nintendo. <laughs> and it depends how the emulation is as well. You know, we don't know if it's, if it's flaky. Yeah, we haven't played it yet. Yeah. You know. And, you know, in the Super Nintendo cartridges on the top, and the Mega Drive cartridge on the bottom, which also pulls out for a stand. <laughs> so it is weighted on the Super Nintendo side well, a little well, bit. What, yeah. if, what if you put Sonic and Knuckles in that? It's going to be huge, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> sticking out the bottom. <laughs> We're so going to see Joe with one of these. He's going to paint it black like a Mega Drive, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just I'll like have... a tower on it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have a uh, 32X out the bottom with Sonic and Knuckles in it. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. I bet the 32X won't work on it. But no, yeah, of course that would be it wouldn't. <laughs> Actually, while we're speaking about Nintendo, um, there was quite a nice little headline that I saw this week about um, your favourite failed system, Ravi. <laughs> the, You're never going to let that go, are no. you, Dan? <laughs> the Nintendo Switch has now outsold the SNES worldwide. Lies, it'll never work. <laughs> it's That's crazy. SNES Mini. That's, no. So it's just beat it by, yeah. is it 800,000 units or something like that? So it's just about to hit 50 million. So it's at 49.79 million as of last week and the SNES was 49.10 million it's yeah. on its lifetime so that's and how long has the Switch been about now what yeah. three years yeah I think it's be its third birthday in March third, this year I think third, yeah. it's, it's an impressive performance um, I was reading the other day apparently it's like um, halfway to approaching the Wii numbers now yeah so it's catching up with the Nintendo so they're saying they think the original Nintendo it's going to overtake the original Nintendo the NES, which was yeah. Which is about sixty-five million or something mm-hmm. like that. But I don't know. Do you think? Do you think it will hit the Wii? Do you think it will slow down in the next couple of years? I, the, I don't think the it will Wii's hit like the Wii, hundred and ten no. mil, isn't it, or something like that? hundred million. You've got yeah, to get be hundred million. Yeah, you've yeah, got to get to like grandma level. Yeah, appealing to the grannies when you hit yeah. the Wii because yeah. everybody's got one in. But there, then the back PS2 room. was more than the Wii, and that yeah. wasn't a grandma console. And I guess when the Switch does finally go down in price, because you got to think the Wii did eventually when it was still. 
Yeah, yeah. Relevant. It got down to dirt. It went down to like ninety yeah, quid, yeah. hundred quid with Mario Kart. Mm. So I could, I wouldn't be surprised in two years we're seeing the switches at a hundred pound with Mario Kart. Uh, I think you still need that killer game because they're relying on a lot of old back catalogs. They're relying on a lot of Wii U indie games. stuff. You know. Wii U stuff. They, if they get that one killer app, which was Wii Sports, yeah, and then mm. Wii Fit, you know what I mean? Because uh, you look that, at the on this article, they got the top ten games for the switch yeah and number one still straight up, up at the top by quite a lot as well as mario kart 8 deluxe and not tell you, you how know. many friends i go around their house and we just go bowling or golf and yeah. they get the wii out and everybody just plays it and it's still going on to yeah this day, there's nothing you know? like that on the switch is there no i mean to me mario kart is my quintessential party game yeah but again that's when i'm around gamers not like you know yeah like you said if like you know my, my in-laws around or something but they, then yeah, also the bowling on, that, yeah. That, that, yeah. that version of mario kart is like if you think about it it's from the start of the wii u's life yeah all mm. The way up to now, and it's still, that's like and eight it's, years old. Yeah, and it's old, old, yeah. it is retro in itself, and it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. unchanged. You know, really, essentially, there's just a few add-ons or DLC added. So I don't get a lot of time to play games these days. We spend more time <laughs> talking about them than we do yeah. playing them. Uh, but I mean, the Switch is generally the system that I'll pick up because the games I pick up and play, it's fun. It's good to see you doing well. I mean, has it been the Game Boy? That's the... yeah, yeah. So the, well, yeah. that's the thing. It's essentially. Oh, I don't know about the Game Boy. Is right up there. Oh, that, yeah, yeah, the it's... Tetris effect, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, it, it is kind of the modern replacement for not only the Game Boy but the NES as well. It's mm. yeah, they've all rolled into one, I think. So you know, I, I think we'll see it smash the Wii. That's, that's my prediction. We're hearing it right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. I think it'll be the NES, but I don't yeah. think it'll be the Wii. All right, okay. Let's check. What, what, how long, long did it wait? Like, what, four or five years? <laughs> about probably about <laughs> four or five years, yeah. Right. Someone remind us in five years' time. <laughs> now, before we get into our retro picks this week and our chat with Jason Bradbury, let's give another huge thank you to a big supporter of the Retro Hour podcast. Our good friends at Harry's are back again this week. We love Harry's. And now you guys are, you know, rocking the facial hair still. You're always complimenting me on my beautiful... Baby smooth skin. He <laughs> does have really thing. baby smooth skin. There you go. From man who's getting on a bit now. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is thanks to our good friends at Harry's. Now, I've actually been using Harry's for a good few months now. I mean, it's um, you know really good quality stuff. And the idea behind Harry's is that there's two guys, Jeff and Andy, who got fed up of those overpriced razors. And they decided, and this is a big mission, they want to fix shaving. Mm. And they knew there's only one way to do this. And this is by buying their own factory. <laughs> and doing it themselves. That's fantastic. We'll just do it ourselves. Yeah, well, let's we'll go it. out there and that's we'll it. buy a factory. And the idea is by taking less profit, they offer great quality products for a fair price and pass it on to the consumer. And their amazing quality blades are almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand that you'll get in the supermarket. So we want to give you a Harry's trial set so you can try it out for yourself. Now, this includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave a weighted ergonomic handle, a five-precision engineer blade with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade on there as well. They'll include some rich lathering shave gel and a travel blade cover as well. So we've got a whole day coming up with something perfect to take with you. Now, if you want to get started shaving with Harry's today, claim your trial set for just £3.95. And of course, goes without saying, you'll be supporting the Retro Hour podcast by doing this as well. So if you want to get delivered to you, all you've got to do, nip onto their website right now. The address is harrys.com forward slash retro tap that into your browser claim this exclusive offer help out the podcast harrys.com forward slash retro with our good friends from harry's now some retro picks this week this is where every week we talk about things that we've been doing in the world of retro gaming sites we've been looking at videos we've been watching what about you this week revy as you know i love amiga so i'm talking about the english amiga board which is kind of one of the oldest forums for right. amiga that's been online and uh it's got a wonderful site, which is the file server. So basically, if you go to grandis.nu, right. that's the um, FTP address and port 21, you can get onto the file server. It has 
seedy images of all of the apps. Uh, it has kind of downloads for WHD load. It's got pretty much everything you need. It's got musical soundtracks as well from um, video game artists that have created CD soundtrack albums, releases like that. So it's a really good resource. And uh, also if you get chatting on English Amiga board, there's a, a lot of the old pirates on there. A lot of the new guys who are doing stuff like modifying the games for CD32. And there's also a lovely hardware mod section where people just show off their mental mods. Hard, you, hardware porn. Yeah, hardware <laughs> porn. Essentially, they show it off, they feed it to Zetro, and Zetro goes, oh, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the English Amiga board. We'll put that link in our show notes. What about you this week? So mine's a real quick one. So one of my favourite first-person shooters of all time is the Time Splitter series. Oh, yeah. So for a good couple of years now, maybe about five years, there's been a page on Facebook, Time Splitters Rewind, which me and Ravi were talking about earlier on. Yeah, so it was it was developed in Nottingham Time Splitters. Uh, was it? Yeah, Free Radical Studios were basically, you know the guys who did Goldeneye? Yeah. They kind of left Rare, that. weren't they? Rare, yeah, and David Doak, our friends, and they formed Free Radical, and then they created Time Splitters separately. And which that- is just, for me, one of the funniest, just most fun kind of like multiplayer party kind of first-person shooters. But there's been a demand for it. There hasn't been one for about 15 years now, 14 years since Time Split is Future Perfect. So what the uh, Time Split is Rewind guys are, uh, they're a, I think there's three of them who are essentially, you know, they're all game designers and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they've kind of like, from the ground up, broken down Time Splitters and then kind of rebuilt it with yeah. the same yeah. mechanics and everything. But they've just made it look really, really nice. And it's been quiet since about 2018, but... About a week ago, they they kind of just, you know, they threw out this like 15-minute video of just everything they've been working on. And, it you know, it all started as like a big, you know, fan-made kind of project. And they're just kind of saying what they've done. It looks absolutely fantastic. I'd absolutely love to play it. Um, not too sure where it's going to go, but people should go check it out. Time Splitters Rewind, just go on Facebook, they're, go check that page They've redone out. all the guns, haven't they? They've redone all the guns and stuff. Yeah. Redoing the player models. The yeah. sets. I, I guess this is probably on Unity or some kind yeah, of yeah. big system now. But go check it out. I think they're really excited about it, really passionate about it. I think the hope is for... I think it's, I want to say Nordic or something like that. I've recently picked up the rights to Time Splitters. Okay. There was a bit of buzz about it last year. I think we mentioned it briefly on the show. Um, so there's a bit of like, is it coming back? Is it not? Are they going to pick this up? Are they going to work with these guys? So we'll see. But just go check it out. Watch the video. Give it a like. They'd be stupid that. not to, wouldn't they? I yeah. love their address on Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash Time Splitters 4. Please. <laughs> <laughs> like it I didn't notice until you said that yeah. awesome. and what's yeah. yours Dan well I've been cheating on you guys this week I'm afraid uh, listening to another podcast um, this is a really good one Floppy Days Vintage Computing Podcast now they've been going quite a while actually but I only discovered them in the last couple of weeks they get proper geeky yeah. about old systems I mean looking through some of their recent episodes they often have like you know three or four part episodes that are like you know two three hours long talking about systems like the ZX80 the Apple Three, the recent the yeah. three parts, it's like six hours worth of material, it's interviews, crazy. all about the Apple Three company, which is not a system I knew all that much about, really. The Acorn Atom, and they're American guys as well, but they actually explore quite a lot of UK technology as well. So, yeah, they've um, got some great people on here, actually. Lee Fellenstein, hmm. I'm doing an interview with Remotely Interested Podcast okay, next cool. for, and he was one of the founders of the um, Homebrew Computer Club. Yeah, so if you're really like, into your proper nerdy computer yeah. stuff, uh, Floppy Days Vintage Computing Podcast, I'll put a link to that and everything else we talked about this week in our show notes at theretrohour.com. Speaking of getting really geeky, 
Let's get on this week's special guest. We're going to get proper nerdy and talk about retro old school goodness with our guest this week, the amazing Jason Bradbury. You're listening to the Retro Hour podcast and it is time to welcome on this week's very special guest. Now, I'm sure you'll be familiar with our guest this week from your television screens, often known for talking about cutting-edge new technology, but is actually quite a retro head as well. Let's welcome on to the Retro Hour podcast the amazing Jason Bradbury. Hello. Hi, guys. How are you, Jason? I'm awesome. I'm very excited to be here. We're very excited to have you on as well, because I mean, I did mention then that, you know, people know you for talking about modern tech, but you're very yeah. into your retro as well, aren't you? I am. I am, actually. I'm, I'm, in fact, that's an understatement. I mean, I, the thing is, I, it, for me, it's not retro, because I never stopped loving it all. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, retro, is it? I didn't know that Sinclair C5s were old. Um, so, so I'm sat in my like, little tech cave, and, well, I don't know where to start. Like, I could everything from vintage synthesizers right through to Sinclair C5, you know, old skateboards from the eighties. And then I've got an, I've got a lovely boom box that you'd like, a little bit of a ghetto blaster. I've got all my vinyl. And then we get onto the, um, uh, my retro gaming collection, which is vast, which I'm hoping that you're going to deep dive into. Cause you know, I, I love talking about all that stuff. Oh, for sure. And, um, what we do with every guest is we always talk about like the first computer system or the first console, that you had so what was yeah. your first machine that you kind of fell in love with maybe it would have been either the atari 2600 or um or maybe the zx80 the sinclair zx80 because i had a zx80 and I, i'm pretty sure that i soldered it together out of a bag of loose parts i'm pretty sure that happened <laughs> but I, I i can't say for sure because i the, the memory i'm you know i'm getting on a bit now and the old memories <laughs> <laughs> a bit fudgy around about anything post kind of uh, or pre 1980 gets a bit uh, fuzzy so it's really 70s actually because obviously it came out in 1980 but it would have been the product design would have been put together in the late 70s i'm guessing mm. um but no because my dad used to do work with sinclair so he used to bring these things home that's oh. how i got it oh okay then what about the 2600 how did that come about i, I honestly don't remember and i don't remember when I first got it. So I don't know whether I got it in 1979 or 1985, for example. <laughs> I just know that it was a big part of my front room for many years. And what I love now as a, a grown man with, you know, a more disposable income than I kind of had, you know, when I was 12 or 13, is um, I like being able to just buy all the games and get all the stuff that I used to read about in magazines, you know. I just got a copy of um, Battlezone, which... I don't think in the 80s I even knew existed uh, for the Atari 2600. And it's the thing with the 2600, there's quite a few late titles that really push it and really do stuff with it that are surprising. Because you're talking about kind of breakout in the, in the early days of the 2600. Because, again, some of your listeners will correct me for this, but I'm, I'm going to say 1979. I'm not on Google right now, so I could have got this wrong. I think it was 1979 that the uh, 2600 came out. And my guess is it probably came to the UK maybe late 79, maybe 80s, because obviously it wasn't like it is now when things would just appear stateside and appear on the same day on UK shelves. You know, then there was a bit of a delay in terms of when we'd get American or Japanese exports but like i said um things like battlezone later on in its run i'm guessing just because i bought a copy of battlezone the other day played it on the 2600 and couldn't believe how good it is it's like it's really 
It's really good. It's not like a vector-based graphics version like the arcade machine or the one which I play on my Vectrex. And yes, I did just name drop uh, the coolest console I own. <laughs> um, it's actually a sort of color version, but it's ever so good. It's a really good version. Did you know that they made Halo for the Atari 2600? Yeah, yeah, we yeah. did cover that, didn't we? Yeah, we, we had um, <laughs> cool, didn't it? the way the guy that made it on, didn't we, last year? Uh, Ed, yeah. Ed, Ed Fries, Ed Fries yeah, him, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was um, that. Wow. Ed, Ed Freeze, actually, not Fries. <laughs> <laughs> You've been yeah. to Burger King before we did the yeah. show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why you encoded him as food stuff. No, but I, um, I'd love to get hold of that just because I think that'd be great because I do a lot of social content. I do loads of retro content on my Instagram and I'd like to do Halo because I like anything a bit quirky, you know, because obviously that's, um, I'm, I'm guessing it's what they probably did it. 10 years ago today i don't know so it's not a retro game but it's obviously on a very it's on the quintessential retro gaming console and they're kind of doing that a lot now with titles there's these retro demakes uh, coming out on uh, earlier systems and they seem yeah. to be really well done i've got a bunch of them actually i'm just looking around i don't want to move away from a microphone but um i've got i've got several games for the dreamcast which certainly weren't a, a, available for the dream dreamcast in its first 10 years I've got things like uh, uh, I can't find it. I can't. I don't want to say the wrong thing. But I was reading like recently that apparently the Dreamcast in 2019 had more games released for it than it has in any year oh. since like 2004 or something. There you go. Okay, yeah. so that, that explains it. Yeah, yeah. There's these sorts of um, white label titles, and I, lo- I love it. You know, because you you get to play. Um, you know, I've got, um, I've got. Do you remember the game Another World? Yeah, oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah really. Yeah, it's good. great in it. It's like. That's like your vision of the future, isn't it? Even now, and um, I've got that for the Dreamcast, and 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 I'm guessing that wasn't part of their original lineup. So, and and that's an understatement. So uh, I've got that, and um, I haven't played it actually, but I'm looking forward to playing with it. But it's like this kind of like I don't know. They're, they're these. What did you call them? D releases. Is D-makes. that what you said? D-makes. Yeah. D-makes, D-makes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. I've never heard of that. So that's only. What does that mean then? It's kind of like you. you, you it's a remake, but you're deconstructing it and you're, you're, oh, you're yeah. removing lots of elements, uh, oh, but like you're still that. making yeah. it playable, you know? I've got a few of those on the Vectrex, actually. There's a real big homebrew community around the Vectrex, um, mm. and they even do the colour templates for the screen. So they'll do... Oh, wow. They'll, yeah, they'll take, a, <laughs> they'll take a title like... Uh, i trying to think of it, like Berserk, mm. uh, which didn't have... Um, I mean, I, I don't know this for sure, but I'm just saying this is the sort of thing that they do. They'll do a version of Berserk for, say, Vectrex or Atari 2600, and they'll include the voice files that, that they didn't have on the original version or something like that. So that's the sort of stuff I love. I do love that, by the way, that um, humanoid uh, uh, sample. Well, it's not a sample, is it? It's a synthesized yeah, human voice, voice yeah, on, on the arcade machine. That's just so beautiful. I love that 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 sound. It's really, you know evocative of the time isn't it well i mean talking about arcades were you much of an arcade goer back in the day and what were kind of your go-to games if so yeah so i was born in 1969 so i was 11 in 1980 Hmm. and i lived in lincolnshire so the only way to experience a lot of the games was to go to arcades or usually things like bowling alleys or pubs that was generally where i got my my kicks i used to go to nottingham in the 80s I used to go to Rock City and see, I saw bands like, I saw LL Cool J in, in Nottingham in about <laughs> oh, wow. 1985. See, see Joe, who's with us, he's in a band and he plays Rock City now. <laughs> I do, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I used to go religiously every Thursday to Rock City. Yeah. Oh, mate, that was, that was an amazing time. And I seem to recall going to an arcade in Nottingham, but you'd have to look in the old, uh, 
archives because I can't for the life of me remember where it was. Or there, what was, it was there was a Namco one on the um, city centre. I remember, remember that with a lot of like Japanese uh, arcades. Yeah, I mean, it was it was you know the the, the thing is right what a lot of the kids now that are into stranger things don't realize is that that series is an historical document you know it's such an accurate depiction and the good news is uh, and i'm referring to you, the younger members of your audience at the 80s was every bit as bizarre and neon and cool as it's depicted in popular culture in fact it was even cooler there's no exaggeration like it was literally everyone was on bmx bikes and everyone had stupid haircuts everyone had really really colorful clothes and and arcades really existed and and we really did used to go to them and meet up socially so it was an amazing period and i guess in a way it's kind of sad really but i've been trying to recreate it ever since because no decade before or since i don't think compares to it maybe the 1950s was a unique period Hmm. but uh the 60s was cool with the kind of like discovery of kind of drug culture and like one love and all that kind of like hippie culture was very very cool the 70s was great with punk and so on but then you get to the 80s and you're talking about really well not the invention of dance music because that would be this i would have said the 70s disco era but but you're you're talking about the refinement of of what is now modern electronic dance music house music hip-hop graffiti breakdancing i mean just what get out of town it was incredible it was an incredible period well you spoke about um sinclair as well and kind of sinclair research was like that prime 80s british business kind of style and they had the c5 and all kinds of products so uh why did you love sinclair so much well because he was he was like the modern uh elon musk and he was british i mean i'm literally i'm touching the c5 right now like i'm literally sat next to it and normally i kind of keep it upright on the wall which is kind of odd but if you look at my social feeds you'll see this really cool image of it and because you can actually vertically mount it, it's not, it's not meant to be done like that, but I can. Um, and it gives, means I've got more room in my, like my, my little office. But um, it's right next to me on the floor at the moment because I did some shots of it for a lad Bible thing that I'm doing. And um, you can go out sh- into the high street on a C5 and it'd be like, it'd be like going out with David Beckham for lunch. <laughs> like, everyone wants to talk to you and sit next to you and ask you about it. And, because it looks like a vision of the future. In fact, I am absolutely convinced if I could be bothered to do a kind of homage to the C5, a kind of version 2.0 and launch it on Kickstarter, I'd smash it. Oh, absolutely. I'd buy one. Yeah, <laughs> I'd do it. I'd, 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 I, yeah, because I think um, it's very practical. And, and given that it, it's got two... Well, I've actually converted mine from 12 volts to 24 volts. So it's got two t- standard 24-volt car batteries in it well if you imagine swapping those out and refining the shape somewhat and putting suspension in it and really good tires and like a good kind of drive train in it you know and led lights and stuff i mean it, it would a it would be much easier to use it'd be much more lightweight because you could you, you know i think it's an aluminium um recumbent mm. bike that basically makes up the kind of chassis but you could make that so much more efficiently now with modern materials you know and and manufacturing methods so i think it'd be amazing and uh, people take the mick like when they're kind of i don't know if they're not stood next to one but they they they, they, i guess they are a bit of a chalk and cheese thing but then i because a lot of people take the mickey out of them for being unsafe and that but in the same they're the same sort of people though that if i do something about an electric skateboard on instagram they'll say something like uh you know are you allowed to drive that and aren't there laws against electric skateboards? Th- th- those kinds of people, 
find the C5 difficult to understand, but, but basically 80% of the population absolutely love it. <laughs> Fantastic. So you previously mentioned that around about 10, 11 years old, you know, you started going to the arcades and stuff like that. Was there much of a gaming scene or computer scene at your school? Yeah, man, <laughs> massively. I mean, I grew up in a period where we were... I mean, I'm not going to pretend that I used to code games because I didn't really. I've always been more... I mean, I'm a reviewer, aren't I? I'm more of a kind of a kind of uh, commentator than I am a mm. creator in that sense. But um, loads of my friends were doing it. I mean, I had loads of BBC micros uh, in the maths classroom in my school. And also the act of playing a game on the first generation of home computers, um, at least, involved copying code out of, a, out of a magazine. So, I mean, it was very hands-on and practical anyway, even if you were playing the game, let alone actually programming it. And I used to do that religiously every Saturday whenever a zap came out. I can't remember whether it came out once a week or whether it came out once a month. I don't know. I can't remember. But, um, yeah, so, I, I mean, I, but I never never made a game. And I, I kind of regret that in a way. I still fantasize that one day I'll actually put a game together. I'd like to do a retro platformer. That's kind of the sort of thing I'd like to try. I remember doing stuff like, you mentioned the BBC Micros then. And we, I mean, my school, I think we still had them until like, we got Archimedes probably about 92, 93, but we still used BBC Micros until that stage. And I remember we had like four of them in the school. And overnight we put them in a big like iron safe, locked them all up. And then in the mornings we'd have to unset them, all the cub monitors and the five and a quarter inch floppy drives. And I remember playing games like Granny's Garden. That was like one of the most terrifying experiences I had as a kid. And... We tried to make our own like text adventures and stuff. I remember as well. I mean, yeah, yeah, like magical, yeah, yeah. magical machines. I thought. Yeah, te- te- but text adventures were, and I would wager still are like really absorbing. Mm. Did you hear? Did you read or see um, recently online? There's um, an AI that's been focused on the task of of creating a text adventure. Oh no, I didn't see that. Yeah, okay. yeah. Do, I, I don't know what it's called, but I'm sure if, if you looked it up, you'd be able to find it. And I'm really intrigued to see what an AI would would make of that sort of process kind of narrative based game experience, because, you know, it's funny, isn't it? It would it seems now when you consider, you know, you can play, you know, Fortnite or whatever with multiple layers of building and, and, you know, all the rest of all the weapons and characters and so on with all that graphical splendor. But ultimately, I don't know. The story is the thing, isn't it? And 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 I, I I would still I reckon get quite absorbed by a text adventure even now. I think there was a text adventure kind of creator on the BBC. I remember when I was a kid, we used to make the games, and then there'd always be a phrase when you'd run out of rooms, and it'd be "You are lost in the swirling mist." It'd run out of memory. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, lo- I, I love it. Yeah, I'm fascinated. Try look at that AI one. It'd be really interesting to maybe play it on air and just see what came out yeah definitely well you mentioned magazines there as well did you ever write into magazines or kind of really dedicated regularly yeah, following one? yeah 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 i mean I, I definitely kept a kind of home library of um reviews of games that i wanted to play but i also wrote in the late 90s sort of mid to late 90s i wrote for a lot of future publishing um publications uh and and i was a reviewer before the gadget show i I was quite a prodigious computer games reviewer which magazines did you work on then uh pc format magazine i worked uh, for windows xp magazine i did a flight simulation column or simulation column for them and another one i can't remember the name of it but i was really busy as a reviewer oh and for newspapers as well Mm. Uh, for the guardian and the independent yeah, I remember doing a big kind of like World War II recreation 
uh, on a game called World War Two Online or Battlefield Europe, I think it's called now. And that was cool. And we kind of recreated uh, the Battle of Britain no. with like you know, 200 players or whatever. But yeah, I used to love doing that sort of stuff. And, and, and that kind of helped me get the job on the gadget show in a way because I'd kind of been reviewing in, in that sense, written kind of good copy. And I'd, I had a kind of editorial background, you know. I mean, you touched before about, you know, what an exciting time the 80s was for, like, electronic music. You actually went to school with one of our recent guests, Tim, from uh, Utah Saints, who obviously did, yeah. well into his DJing and music. I mean, were you kind of the same? Were you ever into that? And were you into, like, ma- making computer music? Did you ever try that? Yeah, I did. I mean, so we didn't go to school together. We, we were really good mates. We lived okay. in the same town. And he went to one school uh, in one direction. I went to the other. But we would meet uh, after school and at weekends. And we actually had a breakdance crew that we formed. And uh, we used to go to Rock City in Nottingham, near where you're, fil- you're recording this podcast, and we used to, like, battle other crews. And, uh, and Tim was mixing all the time, and I actually bought his first set of Technics off him, and I used to mix and DJ and scratch and stuff. But he was much, he was much better than anyone else. He was clearly very, very talented. Um, he also, he, he was, a, I mean, I'm sure he told you when he was on, but he had a really, uh, I remember he had an Atari, an Atari 800, um, which is a beautiful, that's a beautiful machine, that is. The big sort of solid metal section in the middle where you flip up a plastic lid and you're whacking a cartridge. Yeah, that's sexy. Yeah, and, um, and he had an Intellivision as well, which is very exotic for Lincolnshire, I can tell you that now. <laughs> <laughs> very a lot American. Of, a lot of it? people, like, you, you look on YouTube videos and that, and they're, and they're, especially kind of like people that were, were kind of born, say, like from the 90s onwards, and they're... Um, and they, they'll, they talk about the 80s, but they don't really understand it. Like, so they, because you don't, do you? Like, you look through your own eyes. So we now live in a, in a world where you can order something and it gets delivered the next day. And a movie comes out in America and it comes out the same day in, in Britain. And, of course, that wasn't the case. You know, there was sometimes a year between uh, a transatlantic movie release, um, which would affect the culture around that particular movie. Um, the same is true of, of some games. The same is true of music. We used to get my dad or Tim's dad would go on business to America and they'd come back with a bunch of 12 inches or Vans, Vans shoes, um, you know, Converse. Because, you know, you could buy them in London, but we lived in Lincolnshire. And again, there wasn't the, tra- the, the public transit system, like train system like there is now. So it was all very, very different. So for Tim to have an Atari 800 and an Intellivision, and a couple of Technics 1200s was in, I mean, it was just like, what? It was like, it was like popping around his house was a bit like going to the Bronx or New York and kind of like having access to what, what the people that we kind of really admired were doing. Cause we were like this enclave. It's really weird in Lincolnshire where we, we were into American hip hop, well, electro, you know, da- breakdance culture, which was very odd compared. We used to get chased, you know, used to run for our <laughs> lives on Friday nights, you know, Moving on to the 90s, you know, the 16-bit era kind of came about. Was there any machines that you owned that you really wanted or any exotic machines that kind of made made their way to Lincolnshire? Well, in the 90s, I'd kind of I'm I kind of moved. So I left in 89. Okay. And and I went to university at um in Bristol. Um and and things changed a bit for me then because I, I was more into my my university studies, which was I, I studied theatre, film, and TV. So I was making movies and stuff. So I was into I was into um, editing and filmmaking, 
And there is a bit of a blurring for me around that time. I mean, it was mainly Nintendo consoles, so it would have been Super Nintendo and ultimately N64. But I, again, you have to remind me of their release dates because as I stand here, I can't remember. I think Super Nintendo was 92. 92, yeah, I think. Yeah. And yeah, then N64 right. was 97 for the UK, I believe. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. About so it would have been, yeah. It, yeah, it been Super Nintendo. And um, because I remember I, I have sort of Nintendo imprinted on my memories of Bristol and sitting in there <laughs> in my student digs playing kind of like quintessentially Nintendo games, you know. I mean, did you have handhelds as well, like a Game Boy or a, a Lynx or a Game Gear or anything like that? I, I Honestly, I, I, had, I had everything. Like, I, I would <laughs> buy and sell a lot like people listening to this podcast, I'm sure, in order to kind of uh, fund my habit. I would buy and sell and swap. And, and so, yeah, I had Game Gear. Uh, I had an Atari Lynx at one point. I remember I modded my Game Gear, and um, meaning I kind of decorated it with kind of like I sprayed it up and put stickers all over it and stuff. It looked really cool. And, um, I mean, I had, I had everything, man. I had like Gizmondo. Was it Gizmondo? Oh, wow. It was that crazy <laughs> one that was like some – I'm sure it was part of a mafia yeah, money Yeah, well, Swedish mafia or something. Yeah. And um, – yeah, I, I mean, literally, all the all the Game Boys, all the Game Boys. I remember my favourite Game Boy game would have been, and again, forgive me because I might be wandering into the two thousands, but it would have been Advanced Advanced Wars. I love that yeah, game. Yeah, incredible game yeah. for the Game Boy Advance. Yeah, difficult to, to lock down the um, the exact date because they do, you know, there's so much coming out. Yeah. Um, and and you've got those legacy consoles that you just don't get rid of. And so I can't quite remember when when Advance Wars came out. I played that game to death. I think it was about 2001. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So that... I've got a feeling you might have mentioned it on the Gadget Show, actually. What, Advance Wars? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I've, I've got... I like that. I, I may, like maybe, it, maybe I'm crossing memories here. <laughs> did, did you end up kind of keeping all your systems then, or did you get rid of quite a lot when you you know had to move places and stuff? I did do a clear out. I did get rid of quite a lot, because you can imagine being a Gadget Show... Sorry, Gadget Reviewer. I got an awful lot of technology uh, under my nose. And most companies... Uh, then they would just give you it and they wouldn't ask for it back. And so you'd, I'd end up kind of like giving it away and taking it to charity shops or giving it to friends and stuff. Mm. And um, although that wouldn't have been in Bristol, that would have been when I left Bristol. I was only there for three years and then I went I went down to London. So that would have been when I had my first flat in London because uh, that's when I really started to do the reviewing um, of certainly the game reviewing and, and some of the tech technology and sort of gadget reviewing. Did you ever like back any failed systems? Because, I mean, we talk about on this podcast about, you know, I, I particularly like those. I've got like an Atari Jaguar that I collect for. and uh, I like the a, Virtual Boy. A, a 3DO as <laughs> well. I've got that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any like you kind of were into that weren't very successful? I think it's interesting because it's difficult to define what's not successful. See, this is another thing that I find with the telescoping of time that happens on the Internet about how things are deemed successful or not successful. And I, and I understand there are some clearly not successful platforms, but in general terms, most of them found an audience and, and many of them made their investment back. Um, so I don't know, but I would have said I did own a mass, did I own a master system or did I borrow a master system? So you could argue the master system, master system wasn't particularly successful as a commercial kind of venture but again it's it's very subjective that isn't it yeah i but think in, the, in be... the uk it was but not in america was it like yeah america is that is that right yeah, yeah. yeah. okay so I had a master system in fact i'm looking for one now they're really hard to find you know the first gen one the first you know the, the long the long one that's got and the, the reason why yeah the card yeah. reader 
Yeah, the, with the card reader, and it's got the um, it's got the output that I need for my um, uh, PVM Sony PVM monitors. I've got these sexy little monitors. Um, again, because like you can, can't you? <laughs> you can have them now. Whereas <laughs> when I was younger, they would have cost me a, an absolute fortune. I mean, again, having things like so that was another thing that Tim had. Actually, he had a Sony, a really nice Sony early Sony Trinitron TV, which I always remember was really exotic. And and the old systems look so much better on like CRT displays of the time, I think, don't they? Oh, it's unquestionably. Yeah. Like you can't play a retro console uh, on anything other than a CRT. And you can get conversion boxes and all that sort of malarkey, but it's much better to get. I tell you what's interesting. When my kids come into my little gaming room, they can't stand it because there's some frequency that the CRTs give off and they can't actually um, come in the room. Is that's it, weird, isn't it? That's really interesting. You're like, I know exactly what frequency you're on about. Really high pitched. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, well, you it, can hear it. Yeah, no, I can't hear it right now, but I'm just, it's a fun, it's, I say a fun memory. It's just a memory, you know, just engraved in my brain, the hey, sound of do, a TV, yeah, the yeah, smell yeah. of what a CRT TV. Let's do an experiment. I'm going to go over to, I'm going to put them on and see if people go, ah! <laughs> <laughs> like, like the age of 30. Just bear with me. Hang on. All the Should dogs we, go crazy. Go, 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 go. Okay, let's have a listen. Turning two of them on. And they are both on now. So it'd be really interesting in the comments. Let us know if that gets picked up on the microphone. That'd be fascinating, wouldn't it? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I did a YouTube video probably about two or three years ago. Where I had a CRT on and a lot of people commented, going, I can't listen to this video because of that really loud whine in the background. Half the other people are like, well, I can't hear anything. I think it's that certain age range you get to where you can't hear those high frequencies, maybe. But, but that hum to me would mean work. When, like, I turned it on, ding, I'd get into the zone. That yeah, you're like, tone like a, would help like me. Like a little Pavlovian puppy, you're like, <laughs> yeah. responding. So let's, let, let's have a listen then, see if you can hear it, right? I'll just move the mic a bit closer. Okay, Hang on. go for it. Okay. Okay, there's the experiment. Yeah, nothing for me there. I could yeah. hear I could hear a hum, but I don't could know. You? Yeah, I don't know <laughs> really? if it was. Yeah, well, I could well, hear well, a hum, but good. I don't know if it was if it was them. But I could hear something. Joe, trying to be all youthful. You're, you're <laughs> yeah. over thirty now. I am thirty now. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to turn them off. Otherwise, if this start, if this if everyone listening's going, what are you like? <laughs> Ruin the rest of the interview. Just give me two secs. All right. I'm actually I'm actually walking past a system uh, called Videotronic Two. Are you aware of that one? No. no, it's like it's it's a pong. It's a, it's a kind of standalone pong machine, but it looks great. It looks like a piece of medical equipment. <laughs> Videotronic two. Yeah, yeah. Let me just look because I've got my glasses on, so I, I think I'm 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 pretty positive that's what it's yeah, called. Yeah, I found it on on. Um... Oh wow! Yeah, it does. Yeah. It's so cool. Looks like a heart resuscitator or something. Yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, let me just, if I'm just going to turn around, because I've been talking about A defibrillator. About systems, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. I've been talking about all my systems, but I actually can't, they've got so many, I can't remember what I've got, but I've, let me have a look. So should I, should, I, should, I, should I talk you through the shelves? Yes, go for it. Yeah, that'd be nice. Right. So on shelf number one, we've got Sega Saturn, which is a recent, recent purchase, um, and I'm hoping to play a bit more on, because obviously, um, obviously I, I, did, I did the older stuff first in my kind of... Um, uh, desire to reconnect with all those early gaming experiences and then as I've got the older stuff I've started to get a little bit more contemporary but I I make sort of like 2000-ish my ceiling so Sega Saturn then I've got a Super Nintendo and then I've got the suit the, uh, the the Super Scope which I got recently yeah. for it and I, and I got a copy of Terminator of course <laughs> it's probably the only game you can play on it um I've got an N64 and uh, in the N64 right now, which actually it's turned on, I should probably turn it off. 
It's it's Perfect Dark. Oh, brilliant! Game. Great game, yeah. Which I'm uh, I'm absolutely loving, and I got the um, the little memory upgrade that was required, so I can actually play more than like one level or something. <laughs> well, are, are there Get any it? machines that you really want to add to that collection? Well, Dream I mean, machines, the thing is, yeah. I'm only about one fifth through the collection, but I mean, oh, wow. I, I can go off on a tangent if you want, because <laughs> the thing is, I've probably got all of them. Because I'm looking at one shelf and I've got about another 17 shelves. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, you you mentioned Vir- Virtual Boy. I, I quite like I quite like that just because it's so exotic and it looked really good on the shelf. Although I did actually go to a convention recently, you know, and I was going through, I was leafing through some of the Virtual Boy games, and I picked one up which was Space Invaders. And do you know how much it was? How much? 500 quid Whoa. <laughs> the game not not the headset like, just to sit on a shelf and they couldn't give yeah. those away like 20 years ago <laughs> i know oh my god don't even tell me that yeah i've got a lovely crystal xbox first oh Gen xbox. yeah i've got a little zx spectrum i've got um oh i've got two i've got two famicoms they're brilliant they are i, I love my famicom we've got an nes over there can't really see so you show all these off on instagram don't you as well your account is full of all these pictures yeah yeah I do love that. I, I, I just, you know, I'll grab my Mega Drive or Dreamcast or something and I'll just whack a cart in and, you know, I might ask a question. I mean, I, I did a thing last night and it got a mad amount of um, responses. Hundreds of people responded, which is quite unusual because normally I wouldn't get that amount of responses. And what I did was I, I put the ZX Spectrum on top of the Crystal Xbox uh, and I said, which one represents your childhood? Oh, it's a good question, isn't it? And yeah. I, I didn't expect it to be such a goodie, but it, I got a great response about that. So that's the sort of thing I like to do. Well, kind of, you started by doing a cable TV show. So what was that about? So I, I basically, I was, um, I did my TV degree and then I did it with a bunch of people that actually have ended up dominating <laughs> modern entertainment. I mean, literally, like, my class now, like, they're all megastars. And um, at the time, one of them was called... Um, uh, Mivanwi Moore and you might recognize the name Mivanwi from Little Britain because mm. she ended up being the series producer of Little Britain with my my then best buddy when I was at Bristol and my comedy double act partner was David David Walliams and um but David and I were doing a, a double act during uni and then we went down to London and we carried on doing the comedy clubs in London and then Mivanwi rang me up so I'd finished my degree I'd been in London for a year and she goes oh, I'm doing a cat I've just been got a job and i've been asked to produce a cable show proper like old like proper almost like an american like like um wayne's world you know that kind of like Mm. public access yeah (laughs) public access that's perfectly that's exactly what i'm what i mean right and i need someone to host it five nights a week i can give you a year's contract i was like yeah so i did that and that meant me and david kind of went our separate ways which is quite funny because like you know, this comedy thing, Dave, it's not working. So <laughs> I'm going to go off. So from there, uh, where did you go next? Was it to the, to the gadget show or was there kind of an in-between Well, I, I want to ask Jason about yeah. this because there's actually a clip on YouTube, which I actually remember watching, funnily enough, because I used to watch this TV show all the time, a late-night TV show called Cyber Cafe. And oh, there's yeah, a clip actually, of you on there in about 95, 96, talking about, like, yeah. online gaming and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, that's right. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, before we leave Bristol and that first cable show, I should tell you, because this is an amazing fact, that a lad started as a work experience and, and they assigned him to me. And he was my work experience. He was quite tall. He was quite good looking, kind of sort of surprisingly sort of like 
good-looking, handsome guy. Mm. And he was really weird, but in a really funny way. Like, he knew it was funny. So I'd be, like, doing a script or something. And then I'd feel this presence <laughs> over my shoulder. And I'd turn around, and he'd just be looking at me. And he'd say, would you like a cup of tea, Jason? And it was just really, <laughs> really fun. <laughs> it was really funny, but really weird. And uh, it it was Sasha Baron Cohen. Oh wow! Oh wow! Yeah, because he started on cable, didn't he? Yeah. Because yeah. when I left, they replaced me with a guy, and they also started an exact replica of the show, like they franchised it to um, um, Staines, and then that's where he got all the Ali G stuff because he was because he moved to that part of the world and he listened to the accent and he went in, you know, whatever Ali G talks about, he experienced down in Staines in Slough. So that's an amazing thing, isn't it? In yeah. fact, recently I went around the world on a world trip for a year. So we sold our house, took the kids out of school, and we went off. And we went to 23 countries in a year. It's totally a whole other story, another podcast, right? But we, at one point, we were in L.A., and my wife said, why don't we do one of those, um, you know, tour, celebrity homes tours, you know, on a, on a bus with a, with a guide? And we went off around the Hollywood or, you know, Beverly Hills, and he was telling us about where everyone lived. And then he, we went up into the hills and we went past this massive mansion. And he goes, oh, that's where Sasha Baron Cohen lives. And then my daughter shouted out in front of everyone, my dad knows him. <laughs> and then, and then the guy goes, stop the bus. And it was, like, it was like, okay, you have to go and knock on the door. No way. Yeah, and I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't. And so I, and I suddenly became uncharacteristically quite bashful, and I decided I, I refused to do that. And I, I kind of regret, I kind of regret doing it because it would have been really funny to see yeah. what his reaction would have been. If you know, assuming that he that he'd actually come to the door, but you could have said to him, "I love that cup of tea." Now, I love that cup of tea. Oh, yeah. No, I should have like walked up and looked at him like, t- yeah, tapped him on the shoulder when he was like relaxing next to his own pool. You know, and asked him some really creepy question. But um, no, after the show, you were asking about where I went next, I think, after that show. Yeah, so after kind of, you know, uh, the cable TV and stuff, was there an in-between part or was it kind of straight to the gadget show? Part of the in-between was um, was that show, the web review show, which was on ITV late at night. It's on about 11 o'clock, wasn't it? I used to do that once a week, did it for at least a year. Mm. And we used to just we used to review websites, which must sound hilarious now. But websites were new then and and people wanted to know about them. And and we we'd look at a website that was, you know, all about kind of like music or a website where you could, uh, I don't know, sort of, you know, manipulate photographs of yourself or something like that. And and, there might be a news website that was based in Israel or something, you know, and and it was covering um, political news. We we run the full gamut of, of and spectrum of web culture on a, on a kind of Thursday night. So it was, it was absolutely brilliant. And again, it was all great experience. And then I also got, then basically when I went from, I, I basically got poached by planet 24, mm. who some of your listeners will remember used to make a show called the big breakfast. Mm. Yeah. And, and I signed a big deal with them for several years, like a buyout. And, um, and I did bits on the big breakfast and some pilots, uh, a show called delicious for, children's itv but it never really went anywhere like i i kind of ended up twiddling my fingers really 
kind of sitting at home, not able to work for anyone else, but not really doing very much for Planet 24. So it, was, it wasn't particularly fruitful, that. Well, let's get into the gadget show then. How did you get the job there then? And what was kind of the initial brief when you got there? Well, I'd been doing techie shows. I'd done quite a lot of um, science content uh, for like Channel 4 about things like forces and motion and gravity and stuff. And, <laughs> and then I was doing the web review show and I, and I was still doing the computer games review. So I had that background. And I, I also I've always been a bit of a tinkerer. I've always been into making stuff. I was a radio amateur when I was younger. So I understand a little bit about electronics. And and so my agent said that there was a new show that were putting together for Channel 5. It's about technology. So I went along, but I took with me a blueprint for a working hoverboard that I had an idea <laughs> to make. <laughs> and uh, and they loved it because no one else obviously did that. And that was intentional. You know, I'd always sought to try and stand out a little bit when I went for interviews or auditions. And so I took this with me and we actually ended up making it in the first series or certainly the second series. It was basically now it's like all over YouTube, but to my knowledge, well, YouTube was a good five years away from being developed then. So I certainly didn't get it off YouTube. Uh, and it was a leaf blowers, basically a couple of leaf blowers um, pushing air down and through, through a hole in a board with a bit of pond lining underneath and the pond lining would uh, fill with air, although you wouldn't see it because it would be really tightly adhered to the board. And then it would all come out of some holes and form a cushion of air. I don't know if I've described that well enough, but that's basically how it worked. So in regards to the gadget show, how did you choose kind of like what to cover on the show, what to review? Did you kind of get a say in it at all or did they just kind of say this is what you're doing next week? There was a bit of both, really. I got lot. I got this is what you're doing next week and I got I'd like to... You know, uh, like they might say something like, "We're going, we're going to Canada mm. to Whistler. We want to do snowboards. Have you got any ideas?" And I'd say, "Oh, I've always wanted to do um, that thing where you go off a ramp and you do a triple back somersault, but you land in a big inflatable bouncy castle. Yeah, so you don't get hurt. And then, <laughs> you know, cut cut to me and Whistler." having lunch outside in this sort of après ski place halfway up a mountain. And then a helicopter came overhead and it was carrying a bouncy castle. Oh, and wow. Gonna, <laughs> and it dropped it into place and we did that. That's that fantastic. And I, I, I would come up with some ideas, like um, things like, um, well, I'd come up with tons of content, like ideas. They wouldn't always listen to me, but I'd, I'd, I'd come up with lots of it. Um, but more importantly, the stuff I was given, I would have a lot of editorial input on. Uh, you know, because I, I either wouldn't agree with the way they wanted to do it or I could see a different angle for it. And they were very accommodating like that because it, it was a big team effort. You know, I learned a lot because a lot of the people doing that show were from Top Gear. So they were t- absolute top, top grade TV people with brilliant ideas and, you know, great. The stuff that they did well on that show, I think, was the high concept stuff. So I was very much focused around kind of like, you know, putting a jet engine on a skateboard or doing that sort of stuff. That's the sort of idea I'd come up with. Whereas they'd say, oh, what we want to do is get three presenters and then we want to have a paintball match, but we want, want it to be the presenters versus the Gurkhas. You know, <laughs> that, that was the sort of thing they would do. And I, and I wouldn't think of that sort of stuff. So it was, it was brilliant. It was a really good, I think it was a really good coming together of different styles that ultimately made the show that you, that you loved. You know, I'm sure like when they wanted to do the competition, um, I, I was like, oh, no, competition, that, that's really down market. And yet, look at look at what happened. I mean, that that competition is legendary, isn't it? Mm. Well, I love the way that the presenters were kind of segmented into different styles. Yeah. So you were like the extreme one. Otis was like the wacky one, and John yeah. was like the sensible one. Did you ever kind of want to, you know, get into like camera reviews and do John's bit for a while, or kind of swap yeah, around? 
we, we, I mean, we would all like rub up against each other because we all had opinions on everything, you know. Um, apart from like the comedy stuff, like like they would, I, I had a real kind of like open brief on that. That the show was amazingly accommodating about me taking it down these sort of and and Susie as well, she was hilarious, and and yeah, John yeah. is is a very very uh, not John, sorry, uh, Otis is an extremely good comedian. He's very funny, and there was. So, so I, I, in a way, that was my kind of avenue. That's where I used to take stuff. And then, um, with regard to the camera reviews, I mean, in a way, I suppose sometimes I disagree with John, but I'd, I'd always defer to him because he's such a gentleman. Like what you see with John is what you get. There was no like, no friction there. It was like a really, really nice, polite, intelligent, you know, sort of Cambridge graduate. He's exactly, you know, he is exactly the person that you see on screen. I mean, obviously, you, you mentioned before that you've always been a geek and into, like, technology. Doing stuff on mainstream TV, did you ever find you had to kind of dumb things down a bit for a mainstream audience? Yeah, and it used to really annoy me. That was the, the, that, there was friction there. So there was friction at times between me and the production staff because uh, for that reason. Um, and you know what? Now, in hindsight, they kind of got it right. They got the balance right because the gadget show was never going to be um, highbrow. I mean, it was on Channel 5 and it was on 7 o'clock. So it's sort of TV dinner, family audience. So I think they were right to, to steer it the way that they did. But I did find that frustrating. Yeah, it's interesting that you that you can see that because I, I, you know, I am, I would say, first generation geek, meaning, you know, I grew up before computers were a thing in in, in any meaningful sense, meaning... The 70s wasn't a period when normal people had access to computers unless it was an industry. And even then it was very unusual and uh, in in real terms. And so um, I grew up with the first generation of of electronics. And so you end up sort of knowing how everything works, don't you? I mean, you were saying about the BBC Micro and doing the stuff you did at school. That gives you a unique window on how things function. And so you you just plain understand stuff better than younger people when they come to it because they just they, they just point and click and so there was tension sometimes because i'd be like god what you know you've got to explain why how 3g works that that that's just too simple like the, the explanation you've just given there but i think i think they were right i think their their approach to editorial was bang on and from that kind of those sometimes fraught discussions ultimately came a really good show you know that, that was what was good about that why did you leave the gadget show in the end then well, I've done it for about 12 years, you know, and, and ultimately I do care about what I do. I'm, I'm not just doing it for the for the money. And I, I you know, and, and I, I, I sort of heard my own voice coming back at me sometimes. Do you know what I mean? So I, I was well known for being very enthusiastic about stuff. And that's my natural style. And sometimes I'd hear my own voice in my in my head and I'd be like, God, that just sounds like you made it up because you know what I mean? Because when you've done when you've tested a robotic lawnmower for the fifth time, so it's not the same lawnmower and it's maybe 10 years down the line, but you're doing yet another kind of like high concept, slightly funny test thing about who can mow the best shape into a lawn or something. It just becomes hard to react. So I, I found like almost like my hands were tied. I couldn't react to stuff anymore because I didn't have any new things to say. And then, so that's one part of it. And the next thing is social media was just taking off and things were getting amazing. Like YouTube was really starting to become a viable platform where you could get a revenue from. Uh, Instagram was coming up and I just felt 
Well, if I was watching the show when I left, which was sort of three, three and a half years ago, well, I'd be moving online now. I'd be moving away from the show and getting my content online because it was more immediate mm. and and to a certain extent, possibly a bit more authentic. And and uh, the authenticity thing as well. I was never happy with that. That never sat well with me. You know, the kind of walk and talk, presenter hands thing. I always found that cheesy and difficult to kind of get along with. Um, and so... Yeah, it just came. There just came a point when I actually had the opportunity because social media delivered it, you know, to to do what I do, but but not do it for a company and not do it for a TV channel. And so I just felt it was a, it was a time to move. And I didn't just leave the gadget show; I left television altogether. And bearing in mind that I've probably done, I mean, I've probably done fifty separate TV shows. Yeah. In, in my life, I've done so many shows. I did loads for Bravo, loads for Trouble, which was like a kind of. I remember um, trouble, yeah. <laughs> remember trouble, yeah. It's yeah. a bit like Nickelodeon. Tons of stuff for um, the BBC, for ITV, for Channel Four. Loads of loads of stuff for Discovery. Um, stuff for foreign channels. I did, you know, loads of science stuff and game shows and all the rest of it. So I'd kind of had my fill of television. Plus, I'd been training in TV, you know, as a student at university and so on. So I just wanted to kind of take my life in a new direction, really. And social media gave me that opportunity. With that all in mind, what are you working on these days? Well, I do. I, I so I get up in the morning and I uh, am currently doing just starting a PhD in virtual reality, which is kind of cool. And yeah. So I work on some of the research for that, uh, which is just basically me reading and um, and 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 playing with my VR helmet and thinking about stuff. And then um, I'll have a look at my social feeds, see what see who's doing what, reply to people that have talked about my content while i've been asleep um and look for inspiration for some social content and then i might go into the office and, and set up a shoot i might get you know uh I don't know, get get vectrex and get a music program on it and try and create a tune on the vectrex or do some some stuff with my synthesizers um or do something about health te- health tech i've started doing quite a bit around health and wellness now which is really interesting some sort of like you know devices that you wear that monitor your sleep or you know like cool cycling technology mm. and then i'll film them or photograph it and, and put it out on insta and twitter maybe do a story um that's kind of what i do on a daily basis and then i go to a lot of tech shows a lot of tech events uh, and i also do a lot of public speaking um one of my main sources of income actually is is as a futurologist so i do gigs i get employed by companies that are doing events and i talk about exponential growth and where things are headed and what the next 20 years is going to be like well, Jason, I mean, you've always been a guy who's been at the cutting edge of technology and, you know, tell people about it. And it's been it's been great to look back and do some reminiscing with you this week, though. Um, and I will obviously put a link to, um, to your Instagram if people want to check that out as well. I mean, you do loads of great stuff on there. And hopefully we'll see you at a show this summer because I know there is a, there's quite a few retro shows that hopefully we're both going to be at. I'd love to. Yeah. I love the retro shows. Yeah, that's another thing I'm really keen on. That whole scene is so friendly and... Mm. And, and lively. And there's always something that surprises you, isn't there? There's always something that you think, God, I never knew that existed. Um, and there's also a lot to waste your money on, which I also <laughs> am very guilty of. But yeah, love to meet up and um, and loving your work. I've listened to a few episodes um, and, and I really like what you're doing. I think it's, it's uh, extraordinary. The quality of the content, the guests are absolutely absolutely exceptional. So thank you. I'm very flattered to have been invited, to be absolutely honest with you. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. <laughs>